All right, everybody. Shalom and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. And it was an amazing Rosh Hashanah and now it was just an amazing Yom Kippur. Malka, uh, we got to pray at beautiful Chabad. Yes. Uh, well, first Rosh Hashanah time. on the Mount of Olives. I think we talked about that. We were at Mount of Olives in Rosh Hashanah. Yes. And I was on the Temple Mount and got to pray on the Temple Mount. It was very special. And once again, I got to hear um, the Torah portion of Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac being read by heart by a Jew on the, on the Temple Mount. Uh, so you're like the place that it happened, and I'll tell you, I was crying. Wow. I was just like, wow! I was so mitragesh. That's right. our Hebrew word for the day, mitragesh. Right. It's so true. You know, Rosh Hashanah so is about is about uh, is is a Yom Hazikaron, right? And the rabbis say, what is the Zikaron? What is Hashem remembering? Obviously, he's remembering our year. He's remembering what we did, what we didn't do, right? We're, it's the day of judgment for the Jewish people. But what else is it that he's remembering? He's remembering Akedah Yitzchak. He's remembering the binding of Isaac. And so when you get to this incredible merit to Davin, on your case in the Temple Mount, I didn't go to the Temple Mount, but I was Davin, davening on the Mount of Olives and also at Yeshivat Kotel. Uh, you know, right outside the Kotel. Uh, and when you get to like be right there at the mamish, the place that the, that the Zikaron is, is, is happening about Translate. that you get to really be at the place where this like remembrance stems right. from, then you're just like, boy, boy, boy. Right. And then on Yom Kippur. So, you know, there was the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur days of repentance Slichot, the 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 uh, forgiveness prayers, asking for forgiveness. Lots of massive gatherings, including a gathering at the Kotel that they numbered at seven hundred thousand. Wow, some incredible number, unbelievable. Right, there was big energy this year, big huge, energy, huge. And finally, we uh, stayed at home and got to pray at Chabad uh, on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur night, right? And then uh, and then for Mincha and the Book of Jonah, and finally for Neila, which is the prayer. Of the locking of the right, gates. The gate. Basically, Hashem, the Melech, they say like the Melech has been in the field all this time through the month of Elul. The mommy, king has been mommy, in the field. You, Sorry. You, you got to translate today. The okay? king, yeah. Hashem, right. is like in the field. That means he's like journeying. And in the journeys, you like the common person can walk right up to the uh, entourage of the king and, and wave and yell out and talk to the king. And he's right there. And he's making his way to the palace. And on Rosh Hashanah, after elections, ta-da, Hashem wins as king of the world. We, in, we, we crown him the king, and we are his people, and he's in the palace. But then there's still a little bit more time. And on Yom Kippur, he, you, you, he like goes all the way up kind of, in the, and, and that's it. He's out of the field for real now, and he's, he's back like up on high. So we got very close to the carriage of the king because we prayed with Rabbi Shlomo Katz and the Shirat David Minyan in Efrat and it was just high, high, high. Baruch Hashem, so beautiful. It was just Really, really inspirational. I mean, there's only one word that comes into my mind when I think about Rabbi Shlomo Katz. There's actually two words. One is Karlbach, Shlomo Karlbach. It's got a spirit of that. Um, And it's like a revival. That's the other word, revival. I told Rabbi, I was at a wedding tonight with you, Malka, and uh, I told Rabbi Yoshua Fass of Nefesh Benefesh, I said to him, Shirat David of Rabbi Shlomo Katz 
is like the 60s without the 60s it's like it's like that kind of like like revival energy but without you know all the accoutrements all the funky yeah values. right yeah, it, it's really it was really really cool and I spoke to Rabbi Shlomo Katz tonight. I wanted to interview him, but he was uh, too busy, busy at a, at a quite a loud at the, wedding. At the yeah. wedding right? And we were at a fabulous wedding tonight. And he said to me two things. He said to me that he had a very hard time after that um, high prayer to come down into this world. It wow. was hard for him to like... On Yom Kippur. Re- after Yom Kippur. Right. I'm saying to right. on Yom, Yom Kippur. To, oh, on Yom Kippur. Yeah. Yeah. It was just too high. It was just too high for him. I um, sort of... Not that I relate in the sense that, like, I'm I'm sure that Rev Shlomo Katz got to a, a even loftier place than than I could uh, get to, but I will say that I'm trying hard, maybe harder than I've tried in many years, to keep the Yom Kippur energy going for yeah, myself. That's right. I'm really not Make looking Yom to Yom Kippur every day. I am not looking to like just let it go. Right. That's it right. It was a real experience. I don't know if Hashem enjoyed himself, but I enjoyed myself. Right. Um, and it meant a lot to me. And I like don't want to just turn back to regularly scheduled programming so fast. Last week's show, Malka, I played uh, Lord Get Me High by oh, Shlomo nice. Krabach. And it's like, Lord, get me high. Get me high. Get me high. Lord, get me higher and higher. And that's exactly what it's like. It's like, it's like it takes you up this Yom Kippur. And that's what it's supposed to do. Supposed to bring you up, and and you're supposed to stay at that lofty level. Um, so 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 here's another story that happened in Israel, and this also Shlomo Katz reminded me about. There's this big big media story that in Tel Aviv there was this public prayer for Yom Kippur, and and thousands of people, at least two thousand people, showed up there, and then like thirty protesters showed up and made a made a big protest and anti and they disrupted and and they were semi-violent and and certainly uh, were not in the spirit of the day and they were anti-religious and all that so rabbi shlomo katz told me uh, this was in tel aviv this was in tel aviv because it was a big supreme court case well the supreme court case was only about one issue which is the issue of uh gender separation right well not exactly not 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 exactly let's 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 uh, drill down a little bit which is it wasn't about gender separation it was about putting up a barrier a mechitza right, making a mechitza right no because a mechitza and a separation are two different things my mom pointed this out to me uh, uh in the name of Yoram Sheftel who's a great israeli lawyer uh yeah. a, a barrier is is something that by definition the barrier is supposed to be something you can't pass through but a gender separation is when people voluntarily separate that's different than a putting up a barrier the supreme court was against the israeli supreme court was against putting up a separation barrier between men and women in which public. is in public so what they did was they hung up these flags, israeli in, the, flags. in this little string they just put up these israeli flags which i thought was very creative anyway the anti-religious protesters came to tear them down and make a lot of noise uh they pushed some people they pushed people around and it made all the papers and the president talked about it and everybody talked about it that it's time for have to have more uh unity, unity. And, and and enough of this of this tension but uh shlomo katz who 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 Rabbi hails shlomo katz. shlomo katz who hails from los angeles and he's got a lot of friends there they called him and they're like what's going on in israel oh my god what a travesty and he was like he's like how many people do you think were in synagogue on Yom Kippur. A lot. Like six million. Really? Like 
most Israelis, a lot of, a lot of Jews, most in Israelis, vast majority of Israelis, overwhelming vast majority of Israelis, made it to shul at some point. at some point, and hundreds of thousands of minyanim of of prayer quorums, and most of them went off without a hitch. A few folks got together and made a big stink. Whoop de doo. That's not the majority of the that's not the majority of the of the story. That that's not that's not the story. That's um that's that's missing the story. Right. Right. The real story is Jews went to Shul. Jews went to Shul and and, and, and Yom Kippur. In fact, in fact, somebody sent me, my friend Delana sent me, our friend Delana sent me uh a sent us a video of Ben Gurion Airport right. proudly shutting down totally an airport shutting down totally right for yom kippur like, like the air ca- traffic controllers like turned off the they computer. turned off the computer right you in the air traffic control tower. tower that's right in the tower i mean cool i want to go to that tower one time like burgers bar stop making oh, burgers. the restaurants for sure but what you said is even more impressive right the restaurants right, shut yeah down. there's like you can't turned, land a plane right. here they, they don't left be landing the no tower. plane. that's right we don't have anyone here to bring you in here right okay uh speaking of uh, crowning the king the jewish people have a kind of king and that is uh, an amazing personage uh who is contentious and yet undoubtedly brilliant and his name is prime minister benjamin netanyahu Uh, he showed up after five years of not being there he showed up at the united nations and gave a very powerful... five years since the last time he was at the United five Nations. Five years since he had spoken at the UN. He says it in the speech. And... Uh, he came with visual aids. He, as usual, coming with visual this aids. my favorite. This time, though, not only did he come with the visual aids, but he actually made a line. Yes, on, he's like, I have brought my marker. That's yeah, what he said in his yes, speech. I have brought my marker. I have brought my red marker. Right. You're like, okay, BB. Okay. And this is a very important speech. And I thought to myself that you... Uh, my beloved friend and listener may have missed it, and therefore I would like, with your permission, uh, to play it for you now in, in full. It's about 20 minutes. It's absolutely an excellent speech. So let's listen uh, to Prime Minister Netanyahu on the world stage at the United Nations, wrapping up an awesome, powerful whirlwind tour of the United States and, and, and talking to a lot of leaders, including President Biden, including Elon Musk, other people. But here's his speech that lays out lays out his vision at the UN. Thank you, Mr. President. Ladies and gentlemen, over three millennia ago, our great leader Moses addressed the people of Israel as they were about to enter the promised land. He said they would find there two mountains facing one another. Mount Gerizim, the site on which a great blessing would be proclaimed, and Mount Ebal, the site of a great curse. Moses said that the people's fate would be determined by the choice they made between the blessing and the curse. That same choice has echoed down the ages, not just for the people of Israel, but for all humanity. We face such a choice today. It will determine 
whether we enjoy the blessings of a historic peace, of boundless prosperity and hope, or suffer the curse of a horrific war of terrorism and despair. When I last spoke at this podium five years ago, I warned about the tyrants of Tehran. They've been nothing but a curse, a curse to their own people, to our region, to the entire world. But at that time, I also spoke about a great blessing that I could see on the horizon. Here's what I said, quote, the common threat of Iran has brought Israel and many Arab states closer than ever before in a friendship that I have not seen in my lifetime. I said the day would soon arrive when Israel would be able to expand peace beyond Egypt and Jordan to other Arab neighbors, end quote. Now, in countless meetings with world leaders, I made the case that Israel and the Arab states shared many common interests, and that I believed that these many common interests could facilitate a breakthrough for a broader peace in our region. Thank you. Well, you applaud now. But at the time, many dismissed my optimism as wishful thinking. Their pessimism was based on a quarter century of good intentions and failed peacemaking. And why was this, why were these good intentions, why did they always meet failure? Because they were based on one false idea, that unless we first concluded a peace agreement with the Palestinians, no other Arab state would normalize its relations with Israel. I've long sought to make peace with the Palestinians. But I also believe that we must not give the Palestinians a veto over new peace treaties with Arab states. The Palestinians could greatly benefit from a broader peace. They should be part of that process, but they should not have a veto over the process. And I also believe that making peace with more Arab states would actually increase the prospects of making peace between Israel and the Palestinians. See, the Palestinians are only 2% of the Arab world. As long as they believe that the other 90% will remain in a warlike state with Israel, that larger mass, that larger Arab world could eventually choke, dissolve, and destroy the Jewish state. So when the Palestinians see that most of the Arab world has reconciled itself to the Jewish state, they too will be more likely to abandon the fantasy of destroying Israel and finally embrace a path of genuine peace with it. Now, for years, my approach to peace was rejected by the so-called experts. Well, they were wrong. Under their approach, we didn't forge a single peace treaty for a quarter century. Yet, in, 19, in 2020, under the approach that I advocated, we tried something different. And in no time, we achieved an amazing breakthrough. We achieved four peace treaties working with the United States, 
Israel forged four peace treaties in four months with four Arab countries, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco. The Abraham Accords were a pivot of history. And today, we all see the blessings of those accords. Trade and investment with our new peace partners are booming. Our nations cooperate in commerce, energy, water, agriculture, medicine, climate, and many, many other fields. Close to a million Israelis have visited the United Arab Emirates in the past three years. Every day, Israelis save time and money by doing something they couldn't do for 70 years. They fly over the Arabian Peninsula to destinations in the Gulf, India, the Far East, Australia. The Abraham Accords ushered in another dramatic change. It brought Arabs and Jews closer together. We see it in the frequent Jewish weddings in Dubai, in the dedication of a Torah school in a synagogue in Bahrain, in the visitors flocking to the Museum of Moroccan Judaism in Casablanca. We see it in lessons that are given to Arab students about the Holocaust in the UAE. There's no question. The Abraham Accords heralded the dawn of a new age of peace. But I believe that we are at the cusp of an even more dramatic breakthrough, an historic peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Such a peace will go a long way to ending the Arab-Israeli conflict. It will encourage other Arab states to normalize their relations with Israel. It will enhance the prospects of peace with the Palestinians. It will encourage a broader reconciliation between Judaism and Islam, between Jerusalem and Mecca, between the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael. All these All these are tremendous blessings. Two weeks ago, we saw another blessing already in sight. In the G20 conference, President Biden, Prime Minister Modi, and European and Arab leaders announced plans for a visionary corridor that will stretch across the Arabian Peninsula and Israel. It will connect India to Europe with maritime links, rail links, energy pipelines, fiber optic cables. This corridor will bypass maritime checkpoints, or choke points rather, and dramatically lower the cost of goods, communication, and energy for over two billion people. What a historic change for my country. You see, the land of Israel is situated in the crossroad between Africa, Asia, and Europe. And for centuries, for centuries, my country was repeatedly invaded by empires passing through it in their campaigns of plunder and conquest elsewhere. But today, today as we tear down the walls of enmity, Israel can become a bridge of peace and prosperity between these continents. Peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia will truly create a new Middle East.
To understand the magnitude of the transformation that we seek to advance, let me show you a map of the Middle East in 1948, the year Israel was established. Here's Israel in 1948. It's a tiny country, isolated, surrounded by a hostile Arab world. In our first seven years, we made peace with Egypt and Jordan, and then in 2020, <clears throat> we made the Abraham Accords peace with another four Arab states. Now look at what happens when we make peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel. The whole Middle East changes. We tear down the walls of enmity. We bring the possibility of prosperity and peace to this entire region. But we do something else. You know, uh, a few years ago, I stood here with a red marker to show the, the curse, a great curse, the curse of a nuclear Iran. But today, today I bring this marker to show a great blessing, the blessing of a new Middle East between Israel, Saudi Arabia, and our other neighbors. We will not only bring down barriers between Israel and our neighbors, we'll build a new corridor of peace and prosperity that connects Asia through the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel, to Europe. This is an extraordinary change, a monumental change, another pivot of history. Now, as the circle of peace expands, I believe that a real path towards a genuine peace with our Palestinian neighbors can finally be achieved. But there's a caveat. It has to be said here, forcefully. Peace can only be achieved if it is based on truth. It cannot be based on lies. It cannot be based on endless vilification of the Jewish people. Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas must stop spreading the horrible anti-Semitic conspiracies against the Jewish people and the Jewish state. I mean, I mean, he recently said that Hitler wasn't an anti-Semite. You can't make this up. But he did. He said that. And the Palestinian Authority must stop glorifying terrorists. They must stop its ghoulish pay-to-slay policy of giving money to Palestinian terrorists for the murder of Jews. This is all outrageous. It must stop for peace to prevail. And anti-Semitism must be rejected wherever it appears, whether on the left or on the right whether in the halls of universities or in the halls of the United Nations. For peace to prevail, the Palestinians must stop spewing Jew hatred, finally reconcile themselves to the Jewish state. By that I mean not only to the existence of the Jewish state, but to the right of the Jewish people to have a state of their own in their historic homeland, the land of Israel. And let me tell you, the people of Israel 
yearn for such a peace. I yearn for such a peace. As a young soldier, over half a century ago, my comrades and I in Israel's special forces faced mortal dangers on many fronts, on many battlefields, from the warm waters of the Suez Canal to the frozen slopes of Mount Hermon, from the banks of the Jordan River to the tarmac of Beirut Airport. These experiences and other experiences taught me the cost of war. A fellow soldier was killed next to me. Another died in my arms. I buried my older brother. Those who have personally suffered the curse of war can best appreciate the blessings of peace. Now, there are many hurdles on the path to peace. There are many hurdles on the extraordinary path to peace that I've just described. But I'm committed to doing everything I can to overcome these hurdles, to forge a better future for Israel and all of our peoples, all the peoples in our region. Two days ago, two days ago, I discussed this vision of peace with President Biden. We share the same optimism for what can be achieved. And I deeply appreciate his commitment to seize this historic opportunity. The United States of America is indispensable in this effort. And just as we achieved the Abraham Accords with the leadership of President Trump, I believe we can achieve peace with Saudi Arabia with the leadership of President Biden. Working together with the leadership of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, we can shape a future of great blessings for all our peoples. Now you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know there's a fly in this ointment. Because rest assured, the fanatics ruling Iran will do everything they can to thwart this historic peace. Iran continues to spend billions to arm its terror proxies. It continues to extend its terror tentacles in the Middle East, Europe, Asia, South America, even North America. They even tried to assassinate the Secretary of State of the United States of America. They even tried to assassinate the National Security Advisor of the United States of America. This tells you all you need to know about Iran's murderous intentions and Iran's murderous nature. Iran continues to threaten international shipping lanes, hold foreign nationals for ransom, and engage in nuclear blackmail. Over the past year, its murderous goons have killed hundreds and arrested thousands of Iran's brave citizens. Iran's drones and missile program threaten Israel and our Arab neighbors, and Iran's drones have brought and bring death and destruction to innocent people in the Ukraine. Yet the regime's aggression 
is largely met by indifference in the international community. Eight years ago, the Western, promise, the Western powers promised that if Iran violated the nuclear deal, the sanctions would be snapped back. Well, Iran is violating the deal, but the sanctions have not been snapped back. To stop Iran's nuclear ambitions, this policy must change. Sanctions must be snapped back. And above all, above all, Iran must face a credible nuclear threat. As long as I'm Prime Minister of Israel, I will do everything in my power to prevent Iran from getting nuclear weapons. <laughs> Equally, we should support the brave women and men of Iran who despise the, the regime, who yearn for freedom, who've gone out bravely on the sidewalks of Tehran and Iran's other cities and faced death. It is the people of Iran not their oppressors, who are our real partners for a better future. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, whether our future will prove to be a blessing or a curse will also depend on how we address perhaps the most consequential development of our time, the rise of artificial intelligence. The AI revolution is progressing at lightning speed. It took centuries for humanity to adopt to the agricultural revolution. It took decades to adapt to the industrial revolution. We may have but a few years to adapt to the AI revolution. The perils are great, and they are before us. The disruption of democracy, the manipulation of minds, the decimation of jobs, the proliferation of crime, and the hacking of all the systems that facilitate modern life. Yet even more disturbing is the potential eruption of AI-driven wars that could achieve an unimaginable scale. And behind this, behind this perhaps looms an even greater threat, once the stuff of science fiction, that self-taught machines could eventually control humans instead of the other way around. The world's leading nations, however competitive, must address these dangers. We must do so quickly, and we must do so together. We must ensure that the promise of an AI utopia does not turn into an AI dystopia. We have so much to gain. Imagine the blessings of finally cracking the genetic code extending human life by decades, and dramatically reducing the ravages of old age. Imagine healthcare tailored to each individual's genetic composition and predictive medicine that prevents diseases long before they occur. Imagine robots helping to care for the elderly. Imagine the end of traffic jams with self-driving vehicles 
on the ground, below the ground, and in the air. Imagine personalized education that cultivates each person's full potential throughout their lifetime. Imagine a world with boundless clean energy and natural resources for all nations. Imagine precision agriculture and automated factories that yield food and goods in an abundance that ends hunger and want. I know this sounds like a John Lennon song, but it could all happen. Imagine, imagine that we could achieve the end of scarcity, something that eluded humanity for all history. It's all within our reach. And here's something else within our reach. With AI, we can explore the heavens as never before and extend humanity beyond our blue planet. For good or bad, the developments of AI will be spearheaded by a handful of nations, and my country, Israel, is already among them. Just as Israel's technological revolution provided the world, <coughs> provided the world with sorry, provided the world with breathtaking innovations, I'm confident that AI developed by Israel will once again help all humanity. I call upon world leaders to come together to shape the great changes before us, but to do so in a responsible and ethical way. Our goal must be to ensure that AI brings more freedom and not less, prevents wars instead of starting them, and ensures that people live longer, healthier, more productive, and peaceful lives. It's within our reach. And as we harness the powers of AI, let us always remember the irreplaceable value of human intuition and wisdom. Let us cherish and preserve the human capacity for empathy, which no machine can replace. Thousands of years ago, Moses presented the children of Israel with a timeless and universal choice. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. May we choose wisely between the curse and the blessing that stand before us this day. Let us harness our resolve and our courage to stop the curse of a nuclear Iran and roll back its fanaticism and aggression. Let us bring forth the blessings of a new Middle East that will transform lands once ridden with conflict and chaos into fields of prosperity and peace. And may we avoid the perils of AI by combining the forces of human and machine intelligence to usher in a brilliant future for our world in our time and for all time. Thank you. All right. Uh, so there's uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu at the UN. Powerful speech. Uh, bottom line is that he lays out the right. tension between yeah. between he lays out the tension between the Abraham Accords, a vision for the future, of of regional coexistence and prosperity for the children of Abraham, versus the jihadism and extremism of Iran and their sort of cohorts, uh, and that axis. That's what he that's what he lays out. 
Uh, he also lays out that you know the way towards peace is through the uh, unskippable station of truth. You've got to go through things that have been based on truth. One thing that was disappointing to me in the speech was what, right after he talked about truth, is he talked about uh, that uh, Mahmoud Abbas uh, should definitely stop yeah, spewing anti-Semitism. Like supporting the right. and supporting terrorism. And the Palestinian Authority has got to stop supporting anti-Semitism and terrorism. See, that's not truth. What do I mean? You do not ask an a, 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 a dyed-in-the-wool right, anti-Semite an terrorist right. who's made a career on this stuff, who's written these things from the 70s and then financed the murder of Jews and so does to this very day and be like, you've got to stop talking yeah, stop anti-Semitism. Yeah. It's like, it's like when, when uh, this, is the, this is one of my real pet peeves in, in Jewish political life. Someone will say something awful, right? Like completely unacceptable. Like Hitler wasn't an anti-Semite, right? That Mahmoud Abbas said. And then people will go, that is so horrible and anti-Semitic. We want an apology. I just would like to go on record, okay? This is Malika Fleischer speaking. I would like to go on record saying, I don't want ever again to get any apology from any anti-Semite for anything that they said I do not want it to be that someone applied political pressure to a person who is just saying, honestly, I hate Jews. And then they go, oh, that's not going to be uh, not gonna fly. Yeah. Uh, um, expedient for me. So like, I'm sorry that I said that. And boy, do I stand with the Jewish people. No, these people are telling you the truth about what they really think. When someone says, I hate Jews, you should believe them. Don't be asking for an apology. Don't be trying to change them. You are projecting, okay? Do not try to project your sweet little ability to, you know, uh, grow and, and, and alter your opinion according to what is good and right onto other people. Not everyone has that. Don't be asking apologies from people who, who hate you. Right. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas should is is a, is a murderer, jihadist, anti-Semite, and should be treated as such. And when he says these statements, you should be like, "Thank you." Right. You shouldn't be like, "I'm so offended." You right. should be like, "Yes, thank you, thank you for saying what you really think instead of all the diplo speak." And now we can deal with you honestly. Right. And then stop sending him any money. And then maybe find ways to get rid of him. Wink, wink. And like, do not ask for him to stop talking anti-Semitism on the world stage. Right, that's, that's not, not true. Not truth. That's get not rid true. of the bad guys. Be a Middle Easterner. Somebody offends you like that, at least be like, I'm cutting off relations until, you know. At the, that, but that's not really what you should do. The real truth is you got to get rid of this guy altogether. And certainly not like fund his organization. Fine. Speaking of organizations, Malka, uh, we have a lot of folks that help us out. Jewish Press. Oh, I just want to say one little tiny thing. I'm sorry. I just want to finish up with the Netanyahu speech. Go ahead, Malka. I, one little small thing, okay? This is a pretty decent speech. I don't want Netanyahu to say to me any more things like, I will do everything in my power to stop Iran. I'm not ready to hear that anymore. 
There is no question. There have been uh, there for for two decades. Netanyahu two and a half at least. Decades. Netanyahu has been talking about the Iranian nuclear threat, and it's not like we've just been sitting on our hands. I appreciate that, but let's like not just be flowery with our language. You're not going to do everything in your power to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Right. It doesn't appear that way. Let's right. put it that way. Well, if, exactly. It's like, and that that goes with the other thing, which is like, if you're going to say like Mahmoud Abbas should apologize or that he should, and then you're going to say should stop, right? Yeah, and then you're going to say I'm going to do everything in my power to stop Iran. It's like no, you haven't. You really have not been Middle Eastern gutsy. You've not. You have not. You have not they attacked have done them. Some stuff there was. There was done cool, a lot. Some cool little missions, but they have not stopped it. No, they've not stopped and, it. And that's and that's the great dichotomy of uh, of our of our prime minister. He's undoubtedly a genius. Undoubtedly has led to the period of this of this detente with with the with the Arab world and and hopefully even with Saudi Arabia. And on the other hand, right, uh, which is uh, humongous. On the other hand, still empowers the PA and does not get rid of them. Still allows Iran to do their thing. And the bottom line is, twenty-five years ago, he recognized the problem, but was not able to stop it. That's the great dichotomy. Uh, right. So I was talking about great organizations. I was just going to mention JewishPress.com and JNS.org. Great. Uh, uh, Jewish Israel websites with great news uh, analysis and information, up-to-date, great emails. I use both of those, jns.org and jewishpress.com. Uh, also, uh, israel365.com. Uh, All those also carry the Yishai Fleischer Show, and they're great allies with them. They're putting out great messages. Uh, israel365.com has a new book uh, called 75 Words That You Need to Know uh, in the Hebrew Language. Check it out. They have a great store there as well. And I'm very, very proud to be associated with them. I also think last week forgot to mention uh, the Hebron Fund, uh, the Jewish you community. Forgot to mention yeah, it? I forgot to mention the place that's I funny. work on. Yeah. So I was like, oi. That's, uh, that's right. So, so uh, come visit us uh, in Hebron, uh, especially now during the holidays, and get ready for Chaye Sarah. Get ready for Chaye Sarah. Right which is coming right up soon, which is the big uh, weekend. Right. I just want to say that some of you may at some point, like two weeks from now, be like, oh my gosh, I want to go to Chayesara. And then you'll call Yishai like four days before Chayesara. I just want to give you a pro tip here. If you're really interested in going to Chayesara, you should start planning now. Uh, you should have already started planning, but, but definitely, you should definitely start planning right. now. But for those of you who don't, for those of you who don't know, what we're talking about Chai Sarah. That's when Chapter Twenty Three of the Book of Genesis is read by the Jewish people, and that means that we re- read about the purchase of the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs by Abraham in Hebron. Right, and so we celebrate it's it. An amazing with, pilgrimage. We celebrate it with the influx of uh, of twenty to thirty thousand Jews into Hebron. On one weekend, it's on one Shabbat, very special. And Hebron Fund uh, can help you book your uh, special special uh, tour to Hebron for that uh, Shabbat. But it's not easy because a lot of people want it. Now, uh, the other folks that I want to thank right now are uh, my good folks at Retro Watch Guy. And I was just at a wedding, so here I am wearing my Retro Watch Guy watch right here, retrowatchguy.com. Amazing, beautiful watches. I'm wearing my Tissot. It's really beautiful. I love it. Uh, and it works great, and it's really cool. And also, speaking of cycle, uh, speaking of, uh, of the, the cyclical watches, there's also uh, the Kosher Cycle Tours, uh, koshercycletours.com, bring you 
through the great cycles of uh, pedaling through the beautiful land of Israel and the world. By the way, I have a phrase that I use, which is Yan Cheni Bemagle Tzedek. They'll take me. He'll take me in in circles, in beautiful in circles of of justice. I say that's righteousness. Righteousness. I say that's the land of Israel. Right. You're like we go to Tveria, we go to Tzfat, we go to Hebron, we right. go to Eilat. We we're always circling around these these uh, cycles of righteousness. So that's koshercycletours.com. Uh, uh, Malkale, um, speaking of these great organizations, one of them is the Hebra is the Ari Fold Project. The Ari Fold Project started by friends of Ari Fold who was felled uh, also five years ago, uh, murdered by, by uh, a dastardly uh, 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 jihadist. And uh, since then, they have established uh, the Lion of Zion award in memory of Ari Fold for people who follow his way, uh, his path. I had the unbelievable honor this year of being chosen as the awardee uh, of the Lion of Zion Award. I am very proud. And We're I'm, very proud of you. And I'm very humbled. Uh, not too humbled, though, right? No, but, 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 but you know, I... No, it's very moving. It's I, I'm very, moved. That's it's it, exactly. Very, very Thank, you. Thank you. moving, and it's Malcolm. a humongous honor and a privilege to be associated with the Fold family and yes. such a great hero of Israel. It's funny you say that because that's exactly actually what was my favorite thing about this whole thing is that I felt that I gave some nachas, some consolation, con, consolation? consolation yeah. to, the, to the Fold family, uh, Miriam Fold, the wife, and the parents of Ari. And his brothers. And his brothers. And uh, here's the video that now I didn't know I was getting the prize. It was a surprise. It was a surprise. And here's the video that they compiled uh, about why they gave me the award. It's it's better in video, uh, but you're gonna hear Ari Fold interviewing me, and you're gonna hear all kinds of stuff where I'm at. You're gonna hear uh, you're gonna hear me talk to Vice President Pence. You're gonna hear all kinds of stuff like that. So here is the the video that they compiled of why. I had the great honor and privilege to be the awardee of the Ari Fold Project Lion of Zion Award. I'm proud to introduce you to this year's Lion of Zion Prize recipient. After watching this video, I think you'll understand why we chose him. Wow! <laughs> Woo! Shalom, everybody. I am in the beautiful uh, River Prat. Nachal Prat. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer here. I'm somewhere in Afula. I don't even know where I am. Hi, folks, Yishai Fleischer here. I'm at the Western Wall Plaza. This is Yishai Fleischer, and I'm very lucky to be on the Temple Mount. Some people call it the holiest place for the Jewish people. That's wrong. It's not the holiest place for the Jewish people. It's the holiest place in the world. So I'm here and uh, walking the street of Yerushalayim. It's Yishai Fleischer. He is the man who is responsible for the PR in Hebron, or everything that comes out of Hebron goes right through Yishai. Yishai, you know, walking in these streets of Jerusalem as we are today, it's strange on the one hand. You're like, we're walking through streets that we didn't walk in 2,000 years. On the other hand, we saw what happened the last two weeks. What are your feelings on this night at Tisha B'Av as we're walking, you know, through what they call East Jerusalem? There's a duality of feelings tonight on Tisha B'Av. On the one hand, 
Um, it is obviously a great gathering of Jews. So there's an element of joy here. A lot of my friends are here, people of like mind. Uh, and we're walking where we're supposed to be walking with a tremendous uh, kind, of, kind of strength and courage and police force and force in Jerusalem. Why should we uh, mourn and lament on Tisha B'Av when we have such a beautiful built Jerusalem? The answer is because we're so close and yet so far. It's so frustrating. One of the miracles of this building is that it is, in fact, whole and unbroken. That's the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. That's a building that was built 2,000 years ago by King Herod on top of tombs that are 3,800 years old, including Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Liz. Mr. Vice President, I want to one more time thank you for your incredible effort against the historical theft that UNESCO made when it declared that this is not a Jewish site, that this is a world historical site that is Palestinian and that we're endangering it. Your, admin, your administration left UNESCO based on that, and that was an incredible thing. I want to thank you personally for that. Thank you. John Voigt. So great to have you here in Hebron. It's great to be with you. T tell me why you're here. You, you, because I heard of your dynamic personality. I wanted to meet you in person. That's why you came? <laughs> that's ex exactly No, it. we're here for the forefathers and mothers. No? That, that's what we are, yeah. No, well, I was called a jihadist this week for wanting to build a Beit HaMikdash. All right. No, we were in construction. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we are. Uh, with regarding to that, I think that one of the greatest challenges when, when a company is successful, and even mega successful, is to keep innovating. We can't allow ourselves, we're people of, of faith in God and also of, of the strength that God gives us, so we can't allow ourselves to, to get too nervous. At the same time, we're on guard, and I just went shooting the other day, uh, practicing my, my own uh, firearms training, um, and we have to do that. We got to be, every one of us has to be prepared in Israel. Every one of us is like a police officer in a sense, a defender, a, a certainly military person. The Abraham Accords is really the vision of peace in our region, which is a strong Jewish Israel, surrounded by strong Arab countries, living together uh, and working together in concert for a better Middle Eastern region. Uh, and it's happening. It's a much better idea than cutting up tiny Israel, giving it to the Palestinians who are jihadists, and, and, and having raining rockets just like we have from Gaza. That's a bad idea. Anybody, know, anybody can see that. Uh, the future is the Abraham Accords. Unlike many speakers who spoke before me, I'm not going to talk about God. Everybody talks about God here. God, he gave us the Temple Mount. God is, is there. This is the connection between heaven and earth. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about basic rights. Basic human rights. We have a right to pray. We have a right to love. We have a right to Woo! in our holiest place. The force of history, the force of destiny, the force of God's will and the Jewish people's you know, drive will simply not abate. And I think that that's in part also we could see it when you ever need to get a little cheered up. Just see how upset our enemies are. And that'll always remind you about how far we're moving forward. Important words from an important man. Thank you, Yushai, for taking the time. Uh, for those of you who don't know Yushai, again, you definitely should look him up on Facebook. Follow him. Yushai. <laughs> on opening up the heavens so that the Jewish people will wake up and come home, that God will open their hearts to come home to Eretz Israel. We have a real king. We have a real king. We have a melech. That king has brought us back after 2,000 years of exile. Brought us to our beautiful land. Given us an incredible army and police force that pushes back the enemies. An incredible economy. 
Our language is back. Our Torah is back. We have a king. Ladies and gentlemen, may we be Zoha, may we merit tonight to depose the fraudulent kings, the kings of fear, the kings of lies. May we depose those kings and install and crown the king of kings. Thank you so much. If you are ever in Israel and you want to meet up in Hebron with Yishai, you can get in touch with me or look on his face and write him. Uh, so that's it, people. I would ask to say hello and goodbye. So I want to thank everyone for watching, and hopefully, again, like I said, next year, we'll have a live feed from the top of the Temple Mount. Okay, Maka. So uh, I really wanted to tell you it was one of the greatest honors of my life, and I, and I just uh, felt uh, teared up. I, I also gave a long speech, but that speech was in Hebrew. So... Um, I was, it was an off-the-cuff speech, by the right. way, Maka. Well, you were not prepared because you did not know. Yeah. And, but I still was okay? Was it yeah, all right? it was yeah. nice. Thanks, Maka. Okay. <laughs> Makale, I want to tell you I share the prize with you. Aw. Yeah. No, really. Like, I've been I've been in the business for a long time, but right from the get-go is with you. Not right from the get-get-get-go, but pretty but soon pretty after much, the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I couldn't- Well, you really deserve it, Yishai. That's the truth. You work very, very hard, and Hashem should give you a lot of good health and good strength. Uh, to continue in your work for the Jewish people. And we should have the merit to enjoy doing all that together. Thank you very much, Maka. I appreciate that. And, and I, do, I do know that there's so many, so many people who deserve recognition. I hope they get it. Uh, but um, I, If you're listening to this show, you deserve a little recognition, by the way. That's right. That's right. If you listen like, to this, I don't this, know if right. you're winning an award or whatever, but I think that you should know that you deserve recognition in the kind of world that we live in today. It is by far not everybody who puts their, you know, hour into listening to what's going on about Israel. You know, you could easily be, you know, watching some kind of tabloid thing about some celebrity crime, cheating on someone, something total narshkite. But instead, you took you take your time to like think N- about Israel. Narshkite is Yiddish, narshkite. Yes, it's Yiddish for meaning silliness dumbness, and dumbness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and instead, you take your time to like put your your mind and your heart on Israel. Uh, you think about the issues that affect the Jewish people. You care about these things, and and you deserve recognition in in such a world as we live in today. That's right, uh, Malka. Um, I want to thank the folks that help this show happen, and many of them do, uh, including our staff, which is Ben Bresky, Yochevet Seidman, Moshe Herman, Tabitha gets the email out, and Lou and we're live. Lou reached out to me the other day, and it's good to hear from him. Um, folks are, are joining me at uh, Buy Me a Coffee, uh, including including Stephen, Stephen, who just joined right now. Thank as I'm you, like, yeah, Stephen. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he just joined. He joined a, at a... As a, as a monthly member and a uh, wow and, yeah really it means really a lot nice to us. yeah it really does mean a lot and it's really really cool and uh, and there's a lot of people who support we're part of it and anybody who was part of this show is is part of the broader mission is part of the broader mission that's basically it anybody who's listening to this show is just part of the story of Israel and part of the rebirth um um and I I get by with a little help from my friends at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. And also uh, my colleagues to the show, including our beloved Ben Bresky, who uh, also is talking to a hero today, uh, the founders of Moshav Modi'in, wow. the, um, the, Karl, the so-called Karlbach Moshav, the Moshav. Uh, They're having a big festival, by the way, on Sukkot. I kind of want to go. 
I think that might be on a Hebron day. I'm not sure. You oh. have like days where you're going to be working and taking people around. Right. So there's a lot that's happening on those two days. And I think the Moshev festival might be one. But we'll look. If not, then maybe we'll go together. I would like They're that. like, they're planning it big. You know, there was a horrible tragedy there. And almost the entire town burnt down. Sure. Um, and then that year they like didn't have anything. And then the next year they had like a little festival. And then this year I think they're really trying to like really revive it. So here's uh, Ben Bresky. Uh, and by the way, the Moshev people, you're going to hear in this interview right now, they were the first to bring like health food to Israel, huh. granola, things what? like that. Yeah. Yeah. They're the first. You're going to, yeah. They, they were. What an honor. They were, they were like bringing. You know, they were the first granola people yeah, of they Israel. Were, well, they were bringing Haight-Ashbury in the Jewish way uh, to, to Israel. So let's listen to Ben like Bresky. Like Chia. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ch -ch -ch Here's Ben Bresky uh, with uh, the story of the Moshav, Moshav Modin. This is a moment in Jewish history. Every year on Sukkot, I attend the Moshav Country Fair, which is a music and arts festival at Moshav Mevo Modin, located near the city of Modin in central Israel, about halfway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. The concert features local and national musicians and vendors selling homemade crafts, books, food, and other items. This week, I interviewed one of the founders of the Moshav to talk about its history. Rabbi Yankala Shemesh was born in the United States, where he attended the famous Woodstock Festival and lived in San Francisco in the heart of the 60s era. That's where he met Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, the famous singing rabbi who attracted the youth of the generation. Shlomo Karlbach's followers created the Moshav. The site was in the middle of nowhere and in the 1960s was a Nahal army outpost. In 1964, it became a Moshav populated by various groups, but none seemed to make a go of it. Finally, the Karlbach Hevra were offered the land and it began to thrive. But well before that, the Maccabees lived in the area and stories from Hanukkah took place there. Last year at the festival, I was sitting by the Maccabee-era ruins, a large stone olive press and a partially intact mosaic floor, when I bumped into Yankala Shemesh, who briefly told me of the old days. This week, I called him up to fill me in on the details. A group of eight families and two single people who were students of Reb Shlomo Karlebach. Many of us had met him in San Francisco or various other places in the world. We came to Israel because of Shlomo in many cases. It was a dream amongst our Hevra that we have a place in Israel, a community where we could live together, grow organic vegetables and live on the land, live out the dream to return to Israel and prepare for great days of coming of Mashiach what we felt was our way of participating in the rebuilding of Eretz Israel and the Jewish people. We had a group of eight people who were committed that at any moment, wherever they were in Israel, and if we found a place, that they would leave whatever they were doing and we would go to this place together to live. We went with Slomo and Professor Dr. Joshua Ritchie and Lillian, his wife, a number of the other close Hevra, and we had meetings with the Sachnut, and we were told eventually that 
there was a place that was possible for us to move on to. It was called Mavomodi'in, with the help of the Amshan Averebi, Zedekadish, Zechet Tzadik Luvracha, a great tzadik. We were able to get permission from the political parties that were involved in place, and we also had a dream to bring health foods to El Tzisroya, and we opened up the first health food factory in Israel. We were the first ones in the country to make granola. You couldn't buy brown rice or brown flour or any kind of health product in any of the markets, and we, we introduced health foods to El Tzisroya. After that, many of the bigger companies, of course, came in and began to develop it. And what year was this? 1976, we came, eight families, two single people. Slomo also had a little house there, and while we were there, we were in some older houses. Originally, it was a Nacho post, a group of soldiers and young people preparing for the army, lived on the place. There were eight groups that tried to found the Moshav there. It was a very difficult place. The conditions there weren't easy. There was It was at the end of a small road after Mudim. There were problems with the water. It wasn't always the water. There was one phone line that was often broke down. There was one car for all eight families, and we would do a group shopping together. The place was infested with scorpions, infested. It was a really rugged place. It was real pioneering at its best in those days. And what we were a rugged group of young, newly religious hippies from America and other places in the world, and we were very, very idealistic, and we had a lot of strength and we were able to develop the Moshav into a thriving enterprise. We did have organic gardens and goats and sheep and chickens and donkeys and horses and organic avocados. We had a whole field of organic avocados that we planted. We were very much into organic agriculture and being ecologically minded. We had a program where we worked with the Ministry of Education and we brought youth groups from all over the country. We played hundreds of concerts for young people from all over the world. We fed them, took them on the tour of the caves of the Maccabees. Because Mudim is a tremendous history of Hanukkah, as everyone knows. We were able to be a vehicle for Shlomo, our Holy Rebbe, to do his work in the world. And Shlomo sent thousands of people from all over to come to the Moshav to, for Shabbos. And we took care of many, many people for many years with Shlomo. A lot, all the time Shlomo was there with us. He had a house there. and We played concerts there with Shlomo. We played concerts all over the country with him. We introduced his music to a large part of Israel. That's in a nutshell how the Moshev came to be. And then, of course, over the years, it's been more, more developed, more people came, put in more energy. This existed before the city of Modin. There was no city there. There was no other Yishuvim in the area. There was no main road there. There was a small road with one car, which was going to the Moshev a day. That was about it, one or two cars, and not more than that. And what about the Maccabees? Because actually located on the Moshav, there's ruins or archaeology? Yeah, there's ruins all over the area. Byzantine ruins and Maccabean ruins and the graves of the Maccabees are located nearby. Many caves all over where Maccabees hid during their wars against the Inter-Syrian Greek army during the times of 
the temple, they take back the temple again, and the story of Hanukkah, the miracle of Hanukkah happened there. We had a privilege to be part of that modern miracle, the rebuilding of the Moshav of Modi'im, and establish the infrastructure there for the whole area to develop. We were the first ones there, so the phone lines were improved because we were there, and the roads were improved, and all the the neighboring uh, Yishuvim were able to flourish because we had started there and, and opened up the Modin area and where it played an important part in the rebuilding of the Holy Land of Israel. The Moshav is continuing to do so there today. In 2019, the Moshav was tragically damaged by a massive fire which affected many communities in the area. Most of the homes were burned. The synagogue survived. Since then, homes have been rebuilt and the community is being revitalized. Following cancellations due to the coronavirus pandemic, the festival finally returned. There's tremendous dedication that continues to be there. The fire was devastating for a while, but the Moshav is coming back and it will be rebuilt and it will be a center that will be very important and productive in the history of Eretz Israel. The Moshav Country Fair will take place this year on August 3, 2023. For more information, visit themoshavcountryfair.com. For more on Yankala Shemesh, visit rebyankalashemesh.weebly.com. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners. Happy Sukkot and Shalom. Okay, that what was a awesome. interview. Yeah, right? Maka, we got a lot of folks that also uh, do great work, and one of them is uh, Mo Kaplan. And Mo Kaplan will help you make your Israel tour successful because he'll build you an awesome itinerary. Uh, and that is Kaplan Custom Tours, and I highly recommend that you check him out, mokaplan at gmail.com. He's the best, and only the best people use him. And uh, my friend Jake used him, and it went very well for him. Great. Uh, so that's one. Uh, two is that I also recommend very much that people send money to Israel by buying property and stuff like that. Uh, one of the big questions, how do you bring money into Israel? I highly recommend my good friends uh, at uh, Change86, so-called the dark currencies, uh, yossichange86 at gmail.com. If you don't remember... Just write me an email, and I will be happy to send it to you. Um, Maka, uh, our show would not be complete without our beloved uh, Rabbi Shimshon Nadel. He's also a Kohen. Rabbi Shimshon Nadel, uh, if you ever want to ask him a question, write me an email, and I'll be sure to forward it to him. So write me at Yishai at YishaiFleischer.com. Today's topic is why the joy of Sukkot. Why are we bringing the joy, right? Like, just a simple question. That's a good like, question. Why bring the joy? Let's find out. That's right. Uh, and, by the way, you, you know what I really like about Sukkot? I had a realization about Sukkot, right? Which yeah, is what coming right you up. you like about Sukkot? You know what I realized about Sukkot? This is, this is going to sound funny. Passover, a lot of the commandments that we do, like the Seder, they're not actually written in the Torah. It doesn't, it doesn't say in the Torah to, to do that. It says to eat matzah. But Sukkot, are you wondering about that noise that you just heard? Yes. That, that noise is my is my uh, power tool battery charger finishing my it's, my it's my playing, drill. 
It's yeah. playing when the battery's full. Classical music. When the drill battery's full, so it makes that noise. Wow. I've been using my drill. Yeah, my power drill. Oh, make them like they used to. Oh man, I love a good power drill. Ah, what a feeling. Anyway, um, I'm, I, where was I, Malka? Now you got me confused. Oh, Sukkot. Sukkot. It's like speaking of which, yes. Sukkot because you need drill your power drill for using your, to build the to build a huge sukkah. Right. So the the Sukkot is like make a sukkah and sit in it. A shake of the lulav. You know, okay. it's like it like lays it out to. There's no question mark. Why exactly? Why? Where is there question marks? Because, for example, the seder doesn't say anywhere. Okay, in the, the Torah. seder, the seder, the seder's weird. Or shavuot, it doesn't tell you what shavuot. It doesn't say study Torah all night. It doesn't right. say a lot of stuff is hidden. Sukkot's like here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. I want you to build a sukkah. I want you to put the schach. Go in there. I want you to go in there and sit there. And I want you to shake, shake the, the little right. So, so I like that. You know, it's like very, very like out there. Obviously, there's hidden meanings, a lot of hidden meanings. But Rabbi Shimshon Adel is asking the simple question of why does the Torah accentuate and highlight the commandment to be joyous, which ain't no simple thing. Being joyous for seven days for a Jew, that's hard. That is tough. Yeah, that's tough. Being only joyous, ach, sameach, only joyous. That is a lot of responsibility. I think that the Gaon Mevilna even once said that it's one of the hardest mitzvahs in the Torah <laughs> is to be joyous for seven days. No complaining. Ay, what are we going to do? Anyway, so here is Rabbi Shimshon on the question of the joy of Sukkot. Shalom Yishai. Anyone who has ever been to Jerusalem in the days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot will attest to the fact that there is a unique energy in the air. A frenzy. The city is a buzz. The excitement is palpable tangible as people fill the streets and flood the markets, buying the four species, supplies for their Sukkot and food for the festival. Many have the custom to begin building their Sukkah immediately following the conclusion of Yom Kippur. After fasting and praying all day, they eat a little something and get right to work, going from one mitzvah to the next, not delaying or missing the opportunity. It's a labor of love which expresses the desire to carry over the inspiration of the past 24 hours of Yom Kippur. There's something special, magical, that takes place on these Jerusalem rooftops and balconies lit up by the moon and stars. In my neighborhood of Harnof, you can hear hammering and singing well into the night. It's an intense ending to an intense day. The custom to begin building one's sukkah immediately following Yom Kippur is cited by the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Israelis, in his comments to the Shulchan Aruch. Curiously, the Ramah cites this custom twice, once in the very last section of the laws of Yom Kippur, and then again in the very first section of the laws of Sukkot. Why does the Ramah, always meticulous in his comments, cite this custom twice? And what is the reason for this practice? I mean, can't the sukkah wait until the next day? The Mishnah Brura suggests that the first time the Ramah records the custom, he mentions those scrupulous in his observance. They begin building immediately, and everyone else explains that Mishnah Brura begins the next day. And that's why the custom appears twice, once for those who begin at night and once for those who begin the very next morning. But this answer is difficult to accept as the Maharil a very early source for the practice and the source for the Ramah writes that immediately following Yom Kippur, every individual, everyone should be involved in building the sukkah, not just those who are scrupulous in their performance or in their observance of mitzvot. Perhaps there is a deeper answer. By building the sukkah 
immediately after Yom Kippur, we recognize and give expression to the intimate connection between Sukkot and the days that immediately precede it. By mentioning the custom in both the laws of Yom Kippur and again in the laws of Sukkot, the Ramah stresses this intimate connection. In fact, according to Rabbi Shlomo Kluger, in his commentary there on the Shulchan Aruch, Chochmat Shlomo, he writes, we begin building the Sukkah right after Yom Kippur for God, so to speak, covers over our sins on Yom Kippur, and then on Sukkot covers us over with his Sukkah, with his presence, with divine providence, divine presence, and divine love. This intimate connection between the days of awe and Sukkot is deeply rooted in our historical experience. According to one opinion, the Sukkah that we sit in represents God's clouds of glory, the Ananeha Kavod, which protected the Jewish people in the wilderness. But after the sin of the golden calf, the clouds of glory were removed from the Jewish people. On Yom Kippur, the Jewish people were forgiven for the sin of the golden calf, and the clouds of glory returned to them when, on Sukkot, the Gaon of Vilna writes that it was on the holiday of Sukkot that the clouds of glory returned to the Jewish people and with them the divine presence. In addition, we begin building the Mishkan. We are commanded to build the tabernacle, which also represents how the divine presence rests upon the Jewish people. This is why, according to the Vilna Gaon, and according to the Aruch HaShulchan, Rabbi Yechiel Michel Epstein, Sukkot is celebrated specifically at this time of year, immediately following Yom Kippur. It's deeply rooted in our history, but it's also something we experience each and every year after going through the days of judgment and the days of awe, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. We are cleansed, we are purified, and then we sit in the shade of the Sukkah, in the Divine Presence. There, Underneath the Sukkah, Hashem surrounds us, so to speak. And once Sukkot begins, we are all of a sudden surrounded by mitzvot, an expression of this closeness with God, this connection, this intimacy. We carry the lulav through the streets, raised like a banner, like a flag expressing confidence that we were victorious in judgment just days prior. And while we are required to rejoice during every festival, Sukkot is especially joyous. In fact, Sukkot is called Zaman Simchatenu, the time of our rejoicing in our liturgy. That's its very essence, joy. It is the paradigm of a joyful celebration. It is Vichag. That joy is a result of that closeness, that connection, that intimacy with God achieved during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the days that precede Sukkot. During these incredible days, that we find ourselves in right now between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, we go from a place of purity to a place of peace. From Lifnei Hashem Titaru to Hapore Sukkot Shalom Aleinu. As we sit in the Sukkah, the Divine Presence surrounds us. In Hasidic thought, it's a symbol of God's love. The Sfat Emet compares the Sukkah to a chuppah, a wedding canopy. It is the canopy under which the Jewish nation is wed to God, so to speak. It's about that love, that intimacy. The sukkah is also an embrace. According to Jewish law, the sukkah must have at least two walls and a hand breath. The two walls and a hand breath could appear like an arm, providing a great big divine hug. 
And after having gone through the days of judgment and days of awe, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, isn't that all we need? A great big divine hug. Wishing all of the listeners a Chag Sameach from Jerusalem. All right, we're back. Maka Fleischer, I want to thank you so much for being with me here on the show. Let's not forget our good friends at Prohibition Pickle who make yum-yums. That's right, to eat in the sukkah. For Jews and and pro-Jewish folks, okay? To eat in the sukkah. Uh, Anybody who wants to send great uh, food to a soldier in Israel, uh, any gathering or favorite show host is definitely welcome. (laughs) Imagine if like you sent your favorite show host a delightful Prohibition pickle. We got a, a beautiful delivery before That's right. uh, Rosh Hashanah. It meant so much to us. It was so sweet and it was delicious. That's right. From our good friends, uh, the Michel family. God bless them so much. We love them so much. And we have so many friends. By the way, speaking of friends, uh, just the other, just yesterday, I had a, I, I was supposed to get these group of Norwegians to speak to and they were going to Hebron but I was like listen I called them up I'm like listen do you mind meeting me at Gush Etzion? and I have this place that the uh, this room this the, the the Chabad synagogue and I brought in these these Norwegian Gentiles who were quite blonde and quite white skinned okay they told me that they have like four days of summer what like real summery days are about four during the wow. year and they say that basically the country goes on vacation if that day comes <laughs> Like things shut down. Like 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 you're not expected like, to go to work. Get out of school. Run. Go, that's right. Run out there. Enjoy that. What? Enjoy that. That's exactly what they told me. If we could, they also I told wouldn't me, mind giving them another like couple weeks. They also told me, and we that, could take a couple weeks of their winter. They also told me that being pro-Israel out loud is really challenging there. Really, because you just get you just get shunned at work and certainly at school. At hey, work? Yeah. Oh, like if you're like if you're like loudly pro-Israel, you're going to be in trouble. A lot oh, of places yeah, yeah, in Western yeah, yeah. Europe within oh, yeah, that yeah, atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. And these guys uh, were just there because they love the Bible and they want to understand Israel better. We had an incredibly. I was like so open with them. I just told them every, everything honestly, and they were just like, "Wow!" And they really. And so I'm I'm speaking. And a guy walks into the shul and he sees me talking and he goes, and he's an older guy, an older Jewish guy. He sees me talking to this group and he goes, can I ask a question? In English? In English. He goes, can I ask a question? He's an American guy. Okay. I go, okay. He goes, who cares what these people think? That's what he said. In front of them. Right in front of them. Right in front of their face. Were, did they collapse? No, they're Norwegian. They, they they neither collapse when you insult them, nor do they get overly excited when they're excited. I mean, so oh, they're very, they stay medium. They're very like... They stay even. They stay even. Also, they're a little bit unsure of everything in Israel to them. Like well, everything. yeah. So they're like... So they're like they, they don't know they, what to do. <laughs> they're just like, sit here, build a sukkah and sit in it. This just reminded me that one time I was on tour with um, with Mike Huckabee, and and Mike Huckabee, and we went into this cave, and at the end of the cave, in Ear David, no, not in Ear David, underneath the old city, oh, under the old city, and at the end of the cave, the organizers of the tour had an actor who was acting like the prophet Jeremiah. So he's like wearing like long clothes and he's like, whoa, is me. Right, being really dramatic. Being really dramatic. Biblical guy. And, and Mike Huckabee goes to me, I think that man's not 
quite well there. He's like, a little nervous. I'm like, no, 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 it's just a play. It's just a play. Yeah, you just so, know what's real. Right. So, so, so this kid, so this American guy walks into the synagogue as I'm giving the speech and he goes, I just have one question. Who cares what these people think? And I said to him, okay, thank you very much, sir. Okay. Yes, if you goodbye. don't mind. I know I said to him nicely. I'm not, I can't insult people like that because I, maybe I even understand where he's coming from and, 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 and incredible rudeness, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to slam the door on him. He's my, he's, you know what I mean? He's an older man than me. Who knows what he has seen? Uh, probably he looks like he had a lot of adventures in life. Like, I don't know. So I said to him, thank you. And then when he, when he went and he immediately left, I said, I said to them, do I care what you guys think? Yes. I want you to think good thoughts about Israel. I said, I want uh, Israel supposed to be a light unto the nations. So I want you to receive the light. I want you to see the beauty of Israel. I think that if you see the beauty of Israel, that means you see the beauty of God. But does that mean that if the UN says that I shouldn't live in Judea and Samaria, I'm going to fulfill that as an order? Certainly not. So I don't, I don't care in the sense that if I'm given told to do something wrong, um, I'm not going to believe that. But do I care what you think? Yes. I, I want you to think. Right. You're not nothing. You are not right. nothing to us. Exactly. And they really appreciated that answer. They really appreciated that answer. And, uh, and that's. I mean, they did. You know, it is very respectable and very impressive that they, you know, came on a trip and, it, and there was young people cheap with them too. And, and, you know, you're going around and it's not like a carefree la di da, like, you know, buy a souvenir type of, of tour. Right. A trip to Israel. It's like intense right. and filled with like, you know, conflicting thoughts and intensity and politics. And, you know, they put themselves in that position intentionally and they right. paid money to do that. That's right. So you got to respect that. You're right, Maka. You're right. And they and they also came to understand things for themselves. And they came to connect with the Bible. Why slam the door on right. them? You just why, say like, welcome. Why, yeah, well, exactly. Say welcome. Uh, yeah, Which, by the way, is the Abrahamic thing to do. That's right. That's exactly right, Maka. Very good. Very good. That doesn't mean you have to become subservient. Yeah, it doesn't mean you have to like, ta- you know, write down their orders and then do them. Right. It's just you be kind and courteous to the people who come to meet you. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and the reason I mentioned this in, 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 uh, to close out the show is because Sukkot is the holiday that the book of Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that the nations are going to come during the holiday of Sukkot and pay homage to the God of Israel. And that's, and that's what's happening. And that's what's happening. It's happening in small or maybe in medium. It could become even bigger, but like, Let's let's get out of the ghetto mentality that everybody hates us and realize that Israel is a light. It is a light. Not that not not that we have to be a light. It is a light. We can we can we can send send it out even broader. But it is a light. It's God's light. It's a revelation. Israel is a revelation. Israel is a revelation of God in this world. It is a manifestation of his promise of his people, of his land. It is, it is by itself, its very essence is a revelation of God. And the minute we understand that, you know, we'll, we, we can really like be like, oh, that's what we're doing here. We are, Hashem is making himself revealed through the ingathering of the exiles and the rebirth of the land of Israel as a, as a Jewish state and as a place for his abode. 
That's an awesome thing. And yes, all kinds of people are going to be connected to that. All kinds of people are going to be moved by that. All kinds of people are going to be drawn in for that. Don't push back. Don't push away the good folks uh, that want to come in. Of course, push away the bad guys. Push away the bad guys. Netanyahu, push away the bad guys. Uh, but the good guys, let's bring in the Sukkot. Maka Fleischer, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I know it's late and we've had a long day. We're going to have more long days. I want to thank you for everything and bless you and bless your, your great cooking for this upcoming holiday. Thank you, man. And it was an absolute honor and pleasure to spend the high holidays yet again with you. May Aww. Hashem uh, continue and bless you and us and this family and all the families that love Israel uh, uh, for life. L'chaim. Amen. Uh, for long life and for life serving God enjoy uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing uh, and it is a it is an honor and a privilege to be part of his dream bless you guys wherever you are uh, please write me an email yishaiyishaifleisha.com thanks again uh, to Tabitha Moshe Herman Yochevet Seidman Lou and Ben Bresky for making this show happen lots of love to you guys uh, and write me an email, yishayishayfleisha.com, and be part of that story. Refract and send out that light. Be the broadcaster uh, of the great light and revelation that's coming out of Israel. And happy, happy Sukkot. Hug some ass. <laughs>